0: It's Brandon Dawson here. Welcome to another episode of Building Billions. I have some great guys here, and we're going to be talking about all sorts of things. This is an episode you're not going to want to miss. You know, it takes a lot to choose to build a business, let alone be an eight-figure, nine-figure, or ten-figure earner. But some things are tougher than building businesses. And one thing I know of my experience in life is people who are tough are tough. I'm going to introduce you to a couple guys here. Actually, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, tell you who they are, what they do for a living. And we're going to jump into this episode of Building Billions with Brandon Dawson. Guys, introduce yourself.
1: Hey, Brandon. Thanks. Uh, so I'm Sean Matson, um, co-founder and CEO of a company called Madbox. Uh, We sell gear and technology that we've developed over the years back to the government. Um, and prior to starting the business, uh, served 13 years as a Navy SEAL. A Navy SEAL, here you go, <laughs> and his buddy, Zach. Uh, good
2: to be here, Zach Steinbach. Uh, so, Sean and I actually went through training together uh, and then went to SEAL Team 4 together and Iraq together and everything else. And now we're uh, running Mapbox
0: together, so. So, how long have you guys been business partners?
1: So, officially it's 13 years, um, but we, we had the initial concept and idea back from 27, uh, twenty seven, uh, 2006. So 2006 time frame. So it's been, you know, uh, what is that, sixteen years? Sixteen years. Ago. So, so were you operating in 2006, or were you conceptualizing? We were conceptualizing what Mapbox is now uh, in 2006 with this idea of this new carbon net system for the military. We were actually flying from San Diego up to Alaska. And sitting on the back of a C-130, screaming at each other about how we could make this system better. One of my business <laughs> partners was probably one of the
0: guys flying you. Yeah, That's where right. he. Yeah. That's where he. And he got he got uh, stationed in. Um, let's see. He was in Iraq, and he was in uh, what what was uh, the first place that Saddam went after, and why we went to Kuwait. Kuwait. Yeah. So he was stationed uh, in Kuwait. Did Syria? Uh, so he had multiple missions. But uh, we 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 didn't even get a headset. Yeah, yeah. we had earplugs in. (laughs) No, you didn't get a headset?
1: No, 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 we had softies. (laughs) We were literally like sitting in front the laptop with these pallet systems right in front of us, and just like we just sat here, and we have you know roughly thirty to forty guys that we went through training with, and we like failed to make this build this pallet over and over and over again. All you do is putting gear on a pallet, putting a cargo net system together, nets together. We're like, there's gotta be a better way. Like, this is so stupid that we have, you know, 40 elite operators and it took us hours to build this thing. And it was like, there's, there's just gotta be a better way. So we sat there for that uh, eight hour flight up to Alaska and redesigned the whole thing on the back of it. And then, uh, then we started training and deploying and, you know, took us years to finally get it to where we made the business start, uh, inception of the business was uh, in 2010. And then even at that point, we were still active and serving and deploying. Um, but we knew we needed to protect ourselves as we were going to try to build this, uh, kind of side hustle. And then it wasn't until 2018, 17, 18, before we left the service and have devoted, you know, hundred percent of our,
0: hundred percent of your attention. And, and you guys have built a business now, uh, based on, and, and I think what's amazing is that you guys sat around your buddies you're, you're serving together. You're in an intense environment. Yeah. Um,
1: were you guys deployed together? Uh, we did first. Deployment. Yeah. The first deployment was, we were actually, uh, co-located for most of it. Um, and, on um, actually before that I turned over with you on that first. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was out a few months before I was, and then I came in and backfilled him for a few months. Um, and so, and then a few months later, we both went to the same location and we were co located in Baghdad with each other. What was that like? Like, you guys were buddies before. Did you guys meet in,
0: in, in like, h- how did you guys become friends? So, we were
2: actually swim buddies in Buds. We met at Buds, the training for, uh, to become a SEAL and, uh, became swim buddies and just started. So, you met
1: in training? You yep. did. Yeah, so he went to the Naval Academy. I went to BMI, uh, so obviously two different schools. He he wrestled. I was a swimmer, so we didn't know each other at all until we got out to out to Bud's, and I didn't really remember when, like, the, the first, like, other than, obviously, being a swim buddy, but, I mean, because you start with, I think our class started with 140 guys, and we graduated 19 of those 140 guys, and two of us, uh, these are the two of us. So, <laughs> The two crazy
0: guys. Yeah. Uh, You know,
1: so I did a tour there, uh, in San Diego, I
0: don't know, six months ago to the whole campus, all the new stuff that they're building. Yeah. Um, and, and they were talking about how many guys come in, uh, the resilience and toughness of, of who makes it through. And that at the beginning, when you're looking at 120 guys, if you try to go through and do a lottery of who would or wouldn't make it through, you'd be wrong most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you think that some guys show up and they're huge and they're strong and they're, do you think they're, but they end up being mental giants. Like they just check out and, and, and can't make it through. And then you have the, sometimes little guys show up and you're like, oh man, they're not going to be able to, to get through this and you blow through it. So from your experience, what, what was that whole experience? Because to come out on the elite side of such a huge simp, because anybody that can qualify to even show up has to be special in some regards would you agree
1: yeah I, I mean i i know for me personally like i never had that i never had like oh i'm gonna quit or like fear of quitting like i went into it knowing that my biggest fear was getting hurt or getting injured or um not performing and meeting a standard for something it was never like oh what if i quit like i never had that even in my thought uh whatsoever and so you know, there were times, obviously, during it, and I think most guys that go through it, they always say, like, they have their, like, defining moment. And it's, like, where you're really pushed mentally, and it's just, like, okay, like, I know I can do this. I just don't know how to do it. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, this inner voice that hits you in the head, and you're just, like, oh, yeah, that, that's so simple. Why I wasn't I doing that? And then you just, you cruise the rest of the way through, you know, Hell Week or whatever that, like, kind of inner voice uh, moment was for you. How about you? Uh, ADD. <laughs> People always ask,
2: like, "Oh, what's the secret to buzz? What's the secret to buzz?" And I, I swear to you, it's ADD. And I, the reason is, is because you can't focus on the pain long enough yeah. to quit. It, it's, your mind is always just on the next thing. Like, <laughs>
1: <so>. <laughs> not, oh, man, that's a
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at look at the shiny sand. You know. <laughs> so you know it, it sounds ridiculous, but at the same time, it's like if you're always kind of thinking about what's next, or how your buddy's doing, or you know, what the next evolution is or, you know, how where's the turnaround point on the run instead of thinking about yourself in the moment. Um, you, you never stay there present long enough to, you know, think about how bad your knees hurt and how bad your shoulders hurt. And, you know, for me, it was my back because I was caught carrying,
0: <laughs> carrying in.
1: Yeah, no, I heard that. He heard yeah. that before the show. Like, <laughs> and this guy carried me around everywhere. So that's our that's our running. Like whenever we have conference calls and stuff like that, that's the running thing. Is like who can get that in first and not make it like you know like the first thing you say is like, "Oh, I carry him." Like, no, it's like you have to work it into the conversation. <laughs> into a conversation. Yeah, yeah. So we you do this all the time. We always have like fun games like that where we're just like, oh, you, you know, like like play like a game where it's like you meet new people. And like, like, when well, we would travel, like, we'd meet like groups of people and things like that. And they, like, you never tell them what we would do. And so, like, we would just, like, one person would say what it is, and you just have to pick up and play along. So, you made a game with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, I made a game with it. A lot of no. places you were going, you were your secret, right? Well, and, and more just, more just because it, it just becomes kind of a, um, i don't know for us it was fun because you are traveling so much like you know when you're when you're out and, and and different things it was more that but not necessarily like to like really have like a cover um but also if you did get in trouble <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, then they don't look bad on the uh, commander or anything like that so it's an easy way to just be like oh that guy said he was a uh you know a lawyer it's like okay so,
0: so what what's when you think about what it takes to be in that line of work, right? And, and that committed and dedicated, cause you're not just committed and dedicated to yourself. You're on a team and, and, and what you were saying, like you, like you are you thinking about how do I help my team and how do I stay in the game for them? What are some examples? Cause when I think of business owners, they don't look at their team members, their employees that way. They, they look at them like them and, and in a lot of cases, oh me, and then I have my employees, right? And then they get frustrated that they don't have a team. And, and I always tell business owners, well, if you don't treat your employees like they're a core component to your team, like you're in the battle of winning in business together, they just don't think that way. And so they get frustrated. Them, they talk about their employees. My, I, I can't find good people or it's hard to find anybody who cares like I do. What did you learn in your military training and being deployed together and being in the field together and being in situations where you had to have each other's back how have you been able to translate that to business
2: yeah you know I, I, so we would always say like you know mission teammate self right um, and that would apply to everything especially when you get back for an op you always take care of you know mission essential gear and then help out your teammates and then take care of yourself last right and so the way sean and i view it is, is the same way in business and we always try to take care of our people, you know, and, and help them, um, especially when it comes to accomplishing uh, the goals of the mission of, of the company, right? And so we know that if we take care of our people, they're they're going to do the same thing and help us take care of, of the company and our goals and everything else. And we also know that a distracted employee is not going to produce the same way as one that knows that we're going to help them through, you know, whatever personal issue or goal they might have, uh, going on in their lives, we help them take care of that, then they're, they're going to put more into the company. So it
1: absolutely translates. Yeah. We try to, we try really hard to, uh, you know, run it very similar to how we ran our platoons. Right. And it, it's, it's a lot of big boy roles. It's a lot of like, like, I should not have to sit here and tell you to do certain things, right? Like I'm expecting you already to do it because. That's why you're hired to do this job. You know, it's like a, a breacher. Like, I don't need to go back and check to make sure every one of his caps are in in his breach. Like if it doesn't go off when we're on the mission, like you have an AAR or after actual report and and everyone makes fun of him and then he puts in a case of beer and then he's probably gonna get beat for something. You know, it's like there's always consequences afterwards if something that not happen, but like they like they're they're constantly wanting to help everybody else grow and everybody else move and, and, and know that they're, what they're doing has an impact downrange. So like, even, you know, like our sewers, you know, we have, we have one of our uh, litters that, um, help rescue a guy in Afghanistan in our warehouse where they sew. And it's like, it's where they meet around every morning before they start their day to sew. They can, they're staring right at this ripped uh, litter and they know like that saved somebody, like we get, you know, stuff sent to us pretty regularly on stuff was like that bag was in this mission or, Hey, this, this was doing on this, or this was just on this actually, uh, just recently one of our, uh, autofocus night vision, goggle accessories, uh, we'll call the Tarzir was just on when, um, Biden was over overseas, uh, guys were wearing it and, you know, people were sending it to us and like, Hey, that's you guys, stuff It's like, yeah, that. That it is, it's, you know, all these guys are using that stuff. How good does that feel to be able to innovate technology and solutions
0: that, you know, when you were there, you were like, man, I wish I had something better. I wish I could, that, you know, that's
2: where i like the stretchers. So we, we build the lightest weight stretchers on the market for, for, you know, operators, because hiking up 12,000 feet in Afghanistan with a 12 pound stretcher that is only a stretcher and doesn't do anything else. You, you very quickly, uh, realize you Wish you had something else. And
0: so, so, how you, so you guys fabricated a, an innovative stretcher.
2: Correct. Yeah, actually, uh, four, four different options, yeah, for, uh, for the guys to, to choose from, depending on the mission, the requirements, what could possibly go wrong, all those types of things.
1: And then we made it so that it all worked together, right? So if it's not for individual litters, they, they, while if you look at it from, you know, it's four individual products. But if you have the poles, the poles can go with everything. There's certain things that go with it. So now the operator can have a, a seven and a half foot ladder. He can have a, a litter. Got he, it. So a bunch of things. So it's a Swiss army knife where you spread load gear or spread load uh, that gear across the platoon or, you know, troop size or whatever. And then um, as you need certain parts and pieces, you can almost like build it real quick and then roll out. That's, that's cool. So you can almost like, it could be a
0: stretcher or a hammock. Like you could, like, you can take things and make it whatever you.
1: Exactly. Uh, the, the biggest one, the one that, uh, was one of our first ones is actually a bag that you use for collecting SSE, sensitive site exploitation. So we'd go on a target, grab all the computers, documents, and everything else like that. We'd put it into this big, basically duffel bag, uh, big grocery bag or whatever. And so we made it so that it unzips down on the, the side and bottom, and then it opens up to a soft stretcher, and then you can put the poles in it, and then those poles can be put into a ladder, and so it makes it modular, but then saves weight. And and the whole system weighs less than
2: a single stretcher that we were using before.
0: So so you guys are literally out climbing 12,000 feet mountains. I mean, I can't even fathom the, how <laughs> shitty some of this situational positioning or whatever you call it would be. But you're doing that and you're thinking, God damn, I wish somebody would invent this thing. And then you're like drawing it up on paper. And, well, and that's the thing is every piece of equipment we ever got, you,
2: you would take it and cut it apart and resew it and, you know, change it in some way. And every guy in the platoon does it. And every guy does it a little bit different just to, for his needs and requirements, right? Cause the breacher wants something different than the sniper, wants something different than the platoon leader. Right. And just because of what their mission requirements are. And so we were like, man, why, why don't we just make this better from the get-go? We're
1: talking about the, like the, that it's called the S lift, the soft, uh, lift system. So that bag right there actually was on an op when I was in Iraq. Um, we had to, one of our partner force guys got shot and we had to carry him or get him to the medevac helo in a chain link fence and some rugs that we took from another house and so like we took this picked them up and because we didn't have a litter because there was only uh on this particular op there was a very limited number of americans on it and a higher number of um partner force guys and they weren't carrying our litter for us so we didn't have the backspace to do it and so we went without it because it's one of those things it's like i would much rather have a 20 pound radio than a litter at least I could make communications with guys. And, and the other guys were repairing breach equipment and other stuff. So there just wasn't space. And um, carried the guy, got him to medevac helicopter. And then uh, on the flight home, I'm sitting here thinking like, all right, we already carry this bag, SSE bag. And I was like, well, how, how can we make that into a stretcher? And I was like, oh, well, this and this. And literally called Zach like an hour later. And I was like, got on the ground. I was like, Zach, I got another idea for us. was like. Oh, and if we put poles in it, we do this, and then it just like snowballed, and then that's just you know, it one thing leads to another very quickly. It's just like uh, I think he and I complement each other very well on a lot of that. So, what do you think uh, with the training of like what you just described?
0: So you're, you're, you're in a situation, you have to homemade the gear to get your teammate, medevac out. So you're grabbing anything you can carry him on. Self-making your stretcher, right? From what I heard you say, you grabbed
1: a chain link fence, threw some carpets on it, put them on it, carried them to the. Well, and that that's, I mean, that is everybody in the SEAL teams. I mean, like everyone from the junior guy to the most senior guy in your platoon. And that's what was always like, you'll never, you'll never have an organization like that ever, where it's just like every single person is running on, you know, jp8 <laughs> cass- you know it's cass- <laughs> caffeine and hate but they're problem solvers and it's like hey this sucks and it's like and immediately when someone says that you got 13 14 you know 18 guys sitting there immediately saying here's how we make it better right and they immediately like go into like solving how we get out of the sub and it might be a, a guy eating a cow patty and all of a sudden now everyone's laughing because this is like that's funny why'd you do that and it's like <laughs> Everyone just looked like they were having a horrible time. So I figured eating, you know, cow shit was going to be the thing that make us. Oh my God. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, you do, it's just guys, like everybody feeds off of everybody else's energy in there and, and constantly, I mean, it's just a, like, you know, he was talking earlier when a guy would get a new piece of kit and he's completely disassembling it and doing different things, but that every, everybody would be like a second all right, I got to do this, I'm going to do this too. And then they make their make it their...
0: Everybody's learning from each other. Yeah. And, and you know, it's what's interesting is, is when we sit and talk about how you had these thoughts based on... Because a mentor told me uh, when I was like 26 or 27, hey, whenever you use something that you're in love with, because I remember when the Nokia phone came out and I was just like blown away. It was like Star Trek and, and I can't believe this little phone. And he's like, anytime you fall in love with something, go buy some of the stock of that company. Because the best investments are things you personally love using, because then you have a personal user experience. And when you think about where great innovations come from in business, it's from people that are trying to make things that are old better, right? And for you guys to be out risking your life basically every day for America and for your partners and for your teammates, and, and at the same time, you're having all these entrepreneurial <laughs> ideas. <laughs> <That's> the <idiot>. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, get shot at you. are like, shit, if we had this thing. Yeah. Right? and Make and, things a lot easier. And so you come home and you and you start building a business. And now you're innovating a lot of those concepts. And I don't know if you want to say how large your business is,
1: uh, but if you're comfortable saying it, it's tens of millions, right? Yeah. we, we So last year we did just under $14 million. $14 million. Um, the biggest one being Mapbox the other operating company we've got is a supplement company as well so those two combined did about 14
0: million 14 million so you've taken these ideas you've converted them to actual workable products and and now you're selling those products and you have some big big ones you've been working on that if they come to fruition or come out the way you believe they're going to come out in very short order
1: it could be hundreds of millions. yeah there's there's uh, like You know, we're sitting right now, there's close to $200 million between now and, you know, 18 months from now of deals where we know it's us or one or two other companies. So this is what I love about this show, Building Billions, because
0: it's it's documenting people that are on the path of taking their ideas, taking their concepts, having the resilience to stick with it. It's not been easy. <laughs> yeah. No, no, all. That's part of <laughs> part of the reason why we, you know, came yeah. to the the three sixty. Yeah. So talk about this. So you came to my two day program that helps business owners curate where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, where there's opportunities in the businesses, and where the main threats are to the business. And so you're on the second day of that program. What's what's been some of the 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 things that you guys have realized?
1: I, I think the biggest thing is is just how inefficient we have been doing it like we knew going into business we could grow to be a billion dollar company right like when we know that we can get there we know it's going to be hard and like we'll figure it out but after seeing a lot of the things it's just like man we could do this so much easier and even Texas it was like man I really wish we would have done this three years ago because it would have saved us a lot of you know scraped knees long nights you know just stress and ups and downs and And having that, that pathway, right? Like that efficiency part of it, which, like I said, we knew we could get there, but this is going to help it make it go so much more efficient. And I I was talking to Heather last night, I told her
2: like the program that has been put together is comparable to the art of war by Sun Tzu, right? If you have read the art of war, um, it all seems very common sense and easy, um, and gives you a pathway to be successful on the battlefield. Right. And so, and that's the way that I look at even just the workbook from the 360 program is it's written very simply and easy to understand. It gives you a direct pathway to be successful. All you have to do is implement it. Right. And, and it's, you know, we, we always talk about the basics, um, and that can be from, you know, pistol shooting to rifle shooting, to patrolling, to whatever there's a very simple set of rules for all of those things and you can be extremely proficient and expert level if you just follow those basics. And and that's, you know, what I've got out of the last couple of days is understanding what those rules are and you will get the result. Um, you know, so that's why we're, we're pretty excited to get back and start implementing a lot of these things and, um, you know, just doing very basic things very, very well. And that's what the top you know, assault teams do in the world. Yep. They don't do anything special when you look at like SEAL Team 6 or, you know, uh, the German KSK or anything like that. It's, it's the basics. They do the basics right every single time without fail. And that's
1: all it is. They go from being an amateur to a professional because they, they know how to make it, you know, they know how to make that perfect the basics and none of
0: those organizations that you just mentioned or your teams would be any good if there was if it was all about the individual only right if they don't function
1: what makes them remarkable is the teamwork the teamwork yeah it's like you know the hardest part for the transition i know for me and i know i know zach but i'll let him tell his but like you know and When you're, when you're on it and you're going and you're just, you're grinding every day with the team and you're, you're, you know, you're on the text threads, you're doing all this stuff. And it's like, they always got like talk about being on the train, right? You're on this train with everybody, you're riding it and it's so much fun. And it's just like every, but you're gone, you know, 200, 300 days out of the year. And you're, you're out there a lot of places, sometimes working crazy hours. And you know, that, that brotherhood that gets formed with those guys is like a bond that can never be broken. And then the day you say, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm getting off the train. It literally stops. Like there's no more text messages with the guys. There's nothing, but that train keeps going. And so initially it's just like, well, this sucks. Like you feel like lonely. You feel a lot of like, like, not I wouldn't say betrayal, but like, man, I thought we were buddies. Like what, you know, what happened in their brotherhood and, and there's there's the brotherhood in the teams and then there's a brotherhood out of the teams. And it, that's where guys have such a hard time finding that there is life after the teams or service or other things like that. But you just have to also plug yourself into that brotherhood that's, Hey, I'm, I'm no longer in the team anymore, which is good because that train has to keep going. That train has to keep going after the enemy. Like they don't need to be hearing about how, you know, you're trying to grow a business to a billion dollars. So they, they don't care, right? Like. They're happy for you. They want to help support you in that. They're, but they're trying to survive. They're, yeah, they're dealing with a whole plethora of other things that they need to be focused on and dealing with because it's their life, right? Yeah. And so that that is hard for guys, I think. Yeah, that's been the gift of what we do now is
2: being able to plug back in to not only, you know, the SEAL teams, but also all the different special operations branches and the conventional units. And our international partners, sure. um, and develop these technologies for them, you know, and get to go visit them and understand their problem sets and what they're trying to overcome in the current fight. Right. Cause we haven't, I haven't been in Iraq since 2016. Right. You come out of theater for six to eight weeks. You are no longer relevant. Yeah. You do not have a good operational picture of what's going on over there. Right and so that fast that fast all right it happens immediately and when you look at the current fight right there wasn't a drone in the battle space besides our own assets um and now that battle space in ukraine is completely different right and Mm -hmm. it brings a whole new set of problems and a whole new set of requirements and a whole new set of how you do those those missions and so being able to you know plug back into these guys and understand what their their needs are what their issues are, it allows us to go and develop technology that assists them to increase their lethality, increase their
0: survivability, all those things that they need to do. When you guys, when you guys think about how you were, I mean, 2016 doesn't seem like that long ago, because I just sold my business in 2016. And you think about how you were fighting the good fight with the resources and assets you you guys had then, and then you see things like what's going on in Ukraine, where where people are taking and homemaking drones and putting grenades on them and you're just kind of thinking you're fine wherever you're at and without any anybody now can be a a drone master assassin when you think about like what those guys have to think about because it's it it, they're like how do you predict it and
2: yeah i mean it's very hard until you see it right and you know you talk about these big inflection points in war in the history of war right tanks in world war one and then you know, seeing actually tanks being used with infantry correctly in world war two and the, the introduction of the airplane to combat and, and being used for not only reconnaissance, but you know, offensive, uh, operations, um, all of these things just, it, it's hard to even imagine it until you see it, right? It takes, you know, visionaries to be able to concept what that next flight is going to look like. Um. But then you have a whole host of opportunities behind that, right? There's a, uh, a good friend of mine works for an Australian company called Drone Shield, and they can not only detect, but also interrupt those links in the drones, especially the homemade ones. And, mm. you know, off the shelf ones, not really like military, what we consider like military grade, um, but they can, you know, drop those or interrupt the link and that drone goes back to its home. Right. So
0: yeah, you think, you think, you know how far out are we before a thousand drone micro drones are flying around the size of a hornet that are shooting a laser beam at you? Like, like it could, (laughs) like anything could come, come out. Absolutely. And, and that's what you're saying about the innovation of the battle space is that it it like, but I didn't think about the fact that if you, if you're in the heat of the battle, say Iraq, and you leave for eight weeks, because when you would come home, and then go back for for either finishing your deployment or redeployment. What was usually that time period that you were out of theater and then back in?
1: Uh, it, it depends. And it depends on if you. But generally speaking, it's about a year. So like you're out. Because you you'd go for six months, right? And then you're yeah. essentially out for about a year. And then you're back into it. Um, and, and again, depends on which unit and kind of the cycle. Sometimes it could be a year and a half, depending on the the place you're at. Um, but um you know you're constantly you're on obviously sit reps you're on um like zoom calls essentially with the guys downrange. you're constantly getting updates but um you also a lot of times have no idea when you come back where you're going next because they try to rotate platoons around or a platoon gets disassembled for like leadership has to move out and new guys come in and so some of that um Affects where you get deployed to inevitably and, and especially when we were in, you know, they were covering down on, you know, everything from South Africa stuff to, uh, you know, stuff in Europe, Africa, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq. So there's a lot of uh, the PI, all these different areas of interest that, you know, platoons are getting shipped to. And so you have no idea. Sometimes it's like they 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 wouldn't tell you until, you know three months out where you were going. And even then it changes the last minute. <laughs> so what, two questions.
0: Of all the different deployments, what was your absolute favorite place that you were deployed
1: to? My, for me, it was Baghdad. Uh, one of my deployments, um, being able to be part of, um, a couple of units that we got to do, and we got to travel all south to north, basically hit any shia sunni anything we had we had free reign uh i say free reign it everything was approved at yeah, the prime prime of the rules, yeah. uh, rules I and mean, everything was approved at the prime minister level and at like the four star so prime minister and four star uh level i mean it, it like we were going after some really bad guys on both shia and sunni side and so that was by far my favorite so basically you guys were how long were you out just
0: exploring and finding and that was sick that was a deployment for six months so you literally you and your
1: team just wherever you went you went we we would fly we would drive I mean we got to go like I said everywhere we were hunting like I said uh, you know all the way down from Basra up to Mosul out to uh, uh, Nazaria I mean we were all over that country getting to go after targets and it was it was a lot of fun it was constantly going after the highest level guys. Yeah. Yeah. it was a lot of fun. It was also
2: miserable.
0: <laughs> and were you, were you guys
2: doing that? We were, we were on sister assault forces. Yeah. So one night they would go out, the next night we would go out. Yeah. Um, cause it was, it was such a high op tempo. Uh, some nights we would both be out. Some nights we'd both be out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, as coldest I've ever been. Yeah. Was, yeah, we were somewhere south of Baghdad, just sitting in a ditch. Waiting for this guy to roll through, and we were gonna ambush him. And it was filled with water. Oh in God! January. Uh, I just sat there, just just shivering all night. Like <laughs> the guy ever come through? The guy never came through. And we just got up and got back on the. We almost got in a fight with some of the ar- local
1: Iraqi police because we didn't tell them we were coming. It was a mess. But. <laughs> I, I actually just told this uh, my this story to my grandmother a couple of days ago. Uh, actually, before coming up uh, down here. Um, kind of on that same thing our, our JTAC that I had with us. Like we had we were getting onto uh uh MI seventeen helicopters. So they're like a Russian looking helicopter and they have a ramp. And uh we're 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 like walking in line by line and I keep looking over at him because he was the last guy uh on on that chalk and I was the last guy on our chalk. And so like I just kept looking back and looking over. And then like I'm getting close to, you know, getting ready to get on the helicopter. I look over and I don't see him but I see other guys in front of him I was like where did where did he go and then like i'm like still looking over still looking over and like 45 seconds later i see this guy coming out of the ground and i was like oh that's weird and then you know they get in the helicopter. out there, they don't already think much of it we fly back it was like a like a two-hour flight back up to baghdad and um he gets on the ground and we're all high-fiving and everything like that and i just see this like anger in his face because he's jackhammering <laughs> He fell into a shithole, <laughs> <laughs> all the way up to his neck, and he, and we're all like laughing and joking, and he's just like that was miserable. Oh, he had to he, fly back. He, he flew back with all, just covered in shit and was freezing because he was right by the door because nobody wanted to be around him, <laughs> and he spent that next morning cleaning every piece of his gear out and he was just like like Corman was giving him shots and it was just like dude like I feel so it was, wasn't me. no it wasn't yeah. it wasn't you it was, it was our JTAC. it yeah. wasn't him it was, oh, funny. oh yeah but yeah it was like that and and everybody was making fun of it like all all the Americans were like oh dude what uh, no nah, nah, nah. he's like you're gonna fall into a hole tonight and he's just like fuck you <laughs> 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 um, oh my gosh the things that
0: happen so Iraq Both to you, Iraq, and then where else were you guys? I did Afghanistan.
1: I did, so I did uh, three to Iraq and then two to Africa. Uh, I was in Chad one time and then Nigeria another time. So, And what did you think about Chad and Nigeria, that whole Africa experience? uh, Wow. Uh, Completely different. You know, because, like, you go from Iraq where it's very fast tempo, a lot of things going on. You're going out, you know, like we were talking, I mean, almost every night sometimes every other night, uh, and then you go to, you know, a country like Nigeria, and you might go on like one patrol that whole six months. And so trying to keep the guys focused, um, you know, there was potentials for stuff. um, But honestly, it was sketchier, in a lot of ways, because you're out there by yourself. There's no support system whatsoever. There's no like if we got shot or one of our guys got shot in something or a partner force turns on us, like there's no uh, medical station that's going to come in and fly in and help us. Or, you know, like the stuff that happened in Sudan or some of the stuff that even happened in Chad, uh, you know, where like the country turns on quick and all of a sudden like these guys are leaving. Like that happens pretty quickly in there where there's, you know, rebels or whatever fighting or uh, Boko Haram or whoever. And so it was always like sketchy when you're like walking around town because you have freedom to walk around town to go f- eat local restaurants in these in these countries. And you're just like, I don't know if I've really, really done this right now. But it's either that or sit in a hotel and then or go straight to the base and back to the hotel and you're doing that for six months. So sometimes it's like, man, I I really just need to get out and walk at least town. so so at
0: least when you're in Iraq or Afghanistan, you have the thought in your mind that your attention level, because you know that there's threats everywhere, right? Right, yeah. hostile well, everywhere. It's hostile everywhere.
1: Here, you don't know if somebody's hostile or the nicest person, right. in the world. Yep. Yeah. So, like, we, you know, we had a guy get jumped. He was like, he was a uh, collegiate, all-American wrestler. He got, he got mugged in, in, in Africa, and it's like, but he was with three other guys. But it was like, there's nothing you could do because you don't know if those eight or ten guys that were around him have, you know machine guns or anything like that. And he's got a knife and a pistol yeah. <laughs> or what's going to happen, you know, like all of a sudden that whole town turns on you real quick and, and, you know, game over. I got a, a buddy of mine.
0: I'm going to introduce you to but he, he was a special forces. He was African. Is that what they called him? Yep. He was stationed there and he was on a mission and he was telling me that the guys who was on the mission with, I think those you called the mission partners or something? Yeah. Partner force forces. Halfway through it, they became the enemy. And he had to figure out how to get away from them. And then he had to sneak into a town and then he had to, he didn't know in the town who's on whose side because he's not local. Right. And so every place he was going, he was hiding and bobbing and weaving and not trusting anybody trying to get through so he could get to a base. And, uh, and he was explaining this whole thing to me. And I was like, man, what a moment to, to, to be caught up in something like that, where one minute you're out risking your life with someone, the next minute they're, Turning totally on right. That right. yeah, is like the
2: adaptability, right? It's the same thing that we're dealing with almost <laughs> every day on the on the business side of the house is how do you adapt to the changing environment,
0: right? And so that's maybe like, we need to create a like a our own version of start shooting at
1: people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you think you go to bed? Here you go.
0: <laughs> but maybe we need to create our own version of like a, a training. Like uh, it would be like like some elite training camp for entrepreneurs where we put them through what tough is really, right. and how to actually com- create bonding relationships with people that
1: you trust, they trust you, and you got each other's back. Well, I think I, I think the the when like when people ask me like what's the hardest thing about buds, the hardest thing about buds is buds, and and it sounds cliche and it sounds like cop out, but it's like. It's the day-to-day grind. It's the same thing in business. What's the hardest thing about business Just business, right? Like every day there's something new. It's waking up. It's putting on your shoes. It's like, how am I going to attack today? Okay, I got to do this, 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 and this, right? It's the same thing in Buds. It's like every day I'm getting up and I know that I'm going to get kicked in the teeth. I'm going to get knocked out and I have to get up and keep doing it and just keep doing it and put a foot forward and just, just, you know. And then see a squirrel and be like, oh, yeah, it's all good. <laughs> We're good. But, you know, that that's the hardest part of, of BUDS, any, you know, business. It's just that day-to-day motivation to keep moving forward, keep growing, keep doing that.
0: You guys are awesome. You know, I appreciate your service to the country. And, and uh, you know, I'm committed to helping you guys succeed. I can see some partnerships in the future. Uh, we have a lot of veterans that we work with. We love that community. Um, and, and we'd love to work with you guys on, on reaching out to more of them and providing more opportunity in business and giving them the support they need. So I just can't wait. We'll do a follow-up, uh, version. I'm going to get all my special forces yeah. guys, uh, friends together. We're going to do one big ass show. Yeah, that'd be good. It's always, there's always some great stories that, that, uh, that come out of it. I, I got, I had like eight or nine for a couple Delta guys and a couple this, a couple of that. And they're all sitting around and they're all like talking. I'm like, what are you guys talking about? What kind of axe <laughs> that other guy carries? I'm like, axe? I don't even understand. They go, oh, oh yeah, we do. Yeah, Right. <laughs> so favorite weapon. Uh, so, you know, it's always fun to get around. But, but what's really interesting is, is you know, put some, put, put some context to everything. Right. So while well, you're out climbing hills and working with teams and trying to not get killed, Right. That's one level. And now you're in business and you're trying to survive and thrive. I just like to say to business owners that are out there listening to this show, Building Billions, there's always another level. So stop being so damn dramatic about the things you're struggling with in business. Embrace it. Choose to bust through it. Build teams. Impact other people's lives. Think of other people other than yourself and what you can do for them. And just like these guys did, every day, innovate. What could you do bigger? What could you do better? Everything I built that you guys went through, it's like when you were talking about sitting on the back of the C1, what, 130, C-130, C-130, yeah. and and you're thinking and inventing. That's how I created this whole business methodology is mostly through my failures and my costly mistakes and then fixing them, right? And then saying, hey, if it works for me, it could work for other people. And I would just suggest uh, on this episode of Building Billions that uh, you pay homage to our our heroes of this country and then you go pay homage to your team too. And uh and let's go build something massive together. Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you, Brandon. On this episode of Building Billions and I'll see you on the next show. Now, remember, you need to leave a like, a comment. You need to share. That's how this show gets bigger and that's how uh that's the ambition and inspiration I have to continue to shoot these shows. So, thank you for joining me on another episode of building billions.